Thank you for joining me on the Investing for Freedom podcast. Today, we're going to air Money, Markets, and Madness, which is a live show that we're going to start doing. Uh, every week, we're going live on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And we are just going to talk about what is happening out there in the world. And so um, we'd love your feedback on this. Uh, let me know what you love, what you hate, all the above. But there's some conversation that goes on in this where, you know, I'm talking about some charts and referring back. So um, you'll get the majority of it uh, by listening to the podcast. But if you're somebody who wants to see the charts, get the charts, um, head on over to YouTube. We'll put the link in the show notes. Would love it if you would start following me on YouTube. We're putting all the content um, that we create in the podcast and everything else over there on YouTube. And um, it's just a little bit more interactive if if you're you know somebody that loves the charts and the data and everything else. Um, head over there. But you know what? If you like what you're getting here, appreciate the support. Uh, do me a favor. Share the show with someone. If you've gotten value out of the Investing for Freedom podcast, uh, one of my friends always says, the cost to listen is just sharing the show. So I would love it if you would help us reach more people by sharing the show. Uh, share it on Instagram, share it on Facebook, wherever it is that you play in the social media realm. Uh, would love it if you just share it out there. So hopefully you enjoy this. And again, we're going to be doing this live once a week where we just talk about what's going on out there in the money land, in the markets, and just in all the madness that's happening. Enjoy the show. Are you looking for freedom? Freedom from the daily grind and hustle? Or just finding a way to live the life you always wanted? Then join us on the Investing for Freedom podcast. Our host, Mike Ayala, will help you discover new ways to find freedom with tips, insights, and interviews. You'll learn the exact systems he's used to travel the world and live his best life. True success and happiness are all about freedom. And here's your roadmap on how to find freedom on your own terms. Welcome to the Investing for Freedom podcast. Here's your host, Mike Ayala. Um, there's a lot of negativity going on out there right now. I'm sure you're all experiencing it. I'm sure you're all feeling it. And I think the most important thing that we can do in times like this is watch the voices that are, I mean, even in our own head, but also the voices that we're listening to. And this is why I love, you know, having the conversations that we're having on the King's Table podcast. Uh, this is why I love groups like GoBundance, being part of community. Um, it's so important. And one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible says, there's wisdom in a multitude of counsel. And we need to make sure that we're listening to the right people and the right voices. By the way, I'm not saying that things are not scary out there. I'm not saying that things are not potentially challenging. What I am saying is that the more we buy into that negativity and the more we get into that downward spiral, the worse things are going to get for us. So it's more important than ever, especially during times of challenge and negativity like we're in right now. I mean, every single piece of news article and information that we're getting, we're being bombarded by negativity. And I heard a stat the other day that kind of kicked me off on this rant and this thought process. The average human today hears more pieces of negative inf information than the average human would hear 100 years ago in their lifetime. Now, there's no way to fact check that, verify it. I mean, I'm sure somebody that's a lot smarter than me could do the math. But if you look at the amount of information that we're hit with every single day out there, um, in negativity, you know, whether it's interest rates or the housing markets or people's businesses failing. I actually was sent an article this morning that two out of every five small businesses in America were not able to pay their rent last month. 
And it's those kinds of information that you kind of sit back and you say, what do I do with all of this? And that's the thing that hopefully by the end of this video, I'm going to ask at the end of every time I go live, okay, so what do we do about this? What does it mean for me? And first and foremost, when it comes to the negativity, I'm just going to circle back to what I said. Make sure that you are surrounding yourself um, with people that I'm not saying burying their heads in the sand or not paying attention to what's going on out there, but also we're, we're coming back to the middle and we're saying, okay, how does this apply to me? What do I do with it? And how do I get through these challenging times? So be careful of the voices that you're listening to because the one in your head is negative enough. So I have a question. We're going to talk quite a bit today um, in the next few minutes about the housing market and what's going on short term, long term. But here's the question that I have. When did it become a requirement that homeownership was actually a thing? When did we get this idea in our head that you know, the basis of all of our value and net worth and everything else is whether you own a house. That's the first question that I really want to ask. And by the way, um, you know, I've owned, I don't know, I don't want to count right now, but maybe seven homes in my lifetime, personal residence. And so I'm a fan of home ownership, but also it's not the thing that should define us. And also there's so many of us that have this idea in our head that our home is our major asset. The majority of Americans, that is the truth. If they own a home, then the equity in their house is their number one asset. And here's what's interesting. From an accredited investor standpoint, the true definition of an accredited investor, and for those of you that are listening that don't know what that is, there's there's a regulation or a requirement that the SEC set out and said, okay, in order to be defined as a accredited investor, you have to make $200,000 a year or $300,000 a year as a couple Um, for the last two years with the expectation of that continuing going forward. Or, and here's the important part for housing, um, a million dollars of net worth, like basically investable net worth, not including your primary residence. So the SEC is not even, they're not even including your primary residence as an asset in that formula that says that you're an accredited investor. And by the way, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to separate or segment whether you are or aren't an accredited investor, but you know, if there's one thing we're all talking about what we identify with today, I identify as X, Y, Z, we should probably identify as an accredited investor. If you're going to pick anything that you could identify with and try to figure out how to become that, because that's where really access opens up to a lot of, you know, beneficial investments, which I'm not going to spend a lot of time going into that today. But again, back to home ownership. When did it become a requirement that part of our whole identity and our net worth and the value of you know, what we have and who we are is based on home ownership anyway? There's a really interesting statistic, and I'm going to show you a chart here really quick. This chart shows us um, the current interest rates by, by different countries. What's in it, like, look at Brazil, and I know they're in a crazy inflationary period and a bunch of turmoil, but you know, 13.75% interest. And right now, um, the... the the central bank interest rates, 5.13. Um, actually, this is a little bit outdated, but um, that as of the time of this chart, that's what it was. And so anyway, my point here, when you look at Australia, you know, they were at 4.1 when we were at 5.1. There's a lot of countries at the end of the day that don't even, like, they don't have the type of lending that we have. You can't even, in a lot of countries, you can't go get a 30-year mortgage. And me and the guys on King's uh, podcast, we're talking about this yesterday. When you look at the word mortgage, like more, the, the root word of that is like till death. It means death. So mort, death, gauge, engage. So literally the word mortgage is like engage till death, the Latin root of it. And so it's interesting that so many of us put our value and our net worth 
and all the negativity that's going on right now because the most of most of the problems right now yes there's inflation yes costs are high but most of our costs are really in in and most of the focus that we're putting in is the cost of a mortgage i heard a stat the other day that 40% of how i think it was 39% to be exact of houses in the united states do not have a mortgage um that's kind of interesting to me they're paid they're free and clear and so when we we put all this you know, negativity around the interest rates and the mortgage payments and everything else. And the reality at the end of the day is that only matters if number one, from a personal residence standpoint, um, you need to buy a house or number two, you're in a position where you need to refinance. None of us need to buy a house. And if you look at, I'm going to show you a chart. Okay. So this chart shows the current cost to buy a house right now in terms of a mortgage um, versus the cost to rent. And if you look at this, it's a pretty interesting, um, again, time that we live in because right now the average cost to buy the median is $2,697 a month for a mortgage and the cost to rent is $1,845. So again, if any of us have to buy a house, then maybe we're in a challenging time. Maybe we're in a time where we need to buy into the negativity, but none of us need to buy a house. If you're in a time where you need to refinance, then maybe you know we need to be talking about uh, you know, what that looks like and what it is. But I just wanted to point out here that the cost of rent is actually still almost 30% less right now than the cost to buy. And so if you're on the investment side, um, you know, it could be challenging because there's a lot of us that are out looking at deals. And a lot of people that are looking for deals, they, they, haven't, been, they haven't been around through multiple cycles. There's a, I, would, I don't have any stats around this, but I would argue or I would venture to say that the majority of investors today in real estate that are looking for deals are have probably never been through a downturn. And so they've came, they've came through a period of time in investing where there was nothing but good deals. We've been in a period of time where we were in cheap debt. We were like literally drunk on free money from the government, which is what's really pushed the price of these houses up at the end of the day. And so as investors, maybe we're in a challenging time because we're trying to find deals. None of us have to find deals. And if you're in a spot where you have to find a deal, then what you really, you're not really a real estate investor. You've got a business around real estate and there's a lot of businesses that are going to experience challenges. But anytime there's a downturn or recession, we need to adjust in our businesses anyway. And so really you got to just shift that mindset from real estate investor to I run a business. And just like every other business in a downturn, I have to figure out how do I get through this? How do I compensate? How do I adjust? And how do I get through this period of time? And so there's some positive to all of this too, because if you look at the cost to rent right now, I would argue, and if you look at the scale of rent too in this chart, if you look at how consistent rents climb, which is the red line in this chart versus the staggering spikes in the cost to buy, which is all around housing prices and mortgage rates, the cost to rent is a pretty consistent climb. And so from a real estate investment standpoint, I would argue that if you can go out and find deals right now, if you can find deals in the real estate space, that cash flow that are not going to get you in trouble, it might be the best time ever to buy because rents are going to continue to increase over time. It has to, unless we like completely go into a deflationary period, which I don't think that's going to happen in real estate anytime soon. I won't go too into the weeds on this, but if you just look at um, US housing supply, this is a really interesting um, stat that I'm going to show you really quick. If you look at this chart, new privately owned housing units completed in terms of single family units is still pretty low right now. 
I mean, we're talking 800, 800,000 units at the peak, you know, back here in, I think this was 2006 ish. I mean, we were, we were almost double that. And I'm not saying that that was necessarily a good thing, but when you look at the crash that happened in 08 and then what housing supply has done over time, we are, we're, we're still in a housing shortage at the end of the day. And there's this article that was in realtor.com that shows the amount um, I'm not, I'm not going to get in the weeds on this right now, but this shows that in 2022, roughly 1 million single family homes were started, which is 10.6% fewer than in 2021. And when you look at multifamily starts too, um, that was ticking down. And I just saw an article this morning that in the Dallas, Austin, I think San Antonio, Houston, Metroplex, multifamily housing starts are down by like, by like 60%. They're like 30% of what they were. And so when you look at the housing units, um, the amount that are needed, we're, we haven't, this whole, the gap between single family home construction and household formations grew to 6.5 million homes between, between 2012 and 2022. However, including multifamily home construction, that reduces the gap to 2.3 million homes. So the gap has continued to increase over time. And I'm not saying that this helps us in the short term, but what I am saying, if you go back and you look at that chart that we were looking at of cost to buy and cost to rent. The thing is over time, that cost to rent is just going to continue to climb. So as long as you can find deals and as long as you can invest in real estate and as long as you can get that through a downturn, none of us know what the next one year, two years, three years looks like. So Mike, what do we do? Well, there are deals out there in the marketplace. We were talking yesterday. I was talking with some guys and and I actually spoke with uh, one of my partners. Um, We're buying some Airbnbs in the luxury vacation rental space. And we started looking at um, loans in the luxury space that are potentially experiencing some hardship. One of my mentors, David Osborne, made a comment in 2020. He said, debt is the new asset. Debt is going to become the new asset. And there's a lot of houses out there right now that don't have a mortgage period. I I mentioned this earlier in the live. 39% of houses, uh, this was a stat I heard the other day, 39% of houses don't have a mortgage on them. They're paid off. They're free and clear. And there's a huge number of houses out there that have a mortgage on them, but they have 30 plus percent equity in that. We're in a period of time where we've never been before with equity because of inflation, because of the price of housing going up, um, because of houses being paid off. We're in a period of time where there's houses out there that have a lot of equity in them. And if we can figure out how to find people that need to sell their house, they don't want to sell their house because uh, they've got a 3% interest rate and they need to sell. And I'm not even just talking about people that are in trouble because they can't afford their payment. That exists. There's more and more people coming on the market. A good friend of mine that's on the King's Table podcast, Aaron, he runs, he runs a couple of tech companies that um, help real estate investors find um, deals that are going into foreclosure. And if you want to buy the list in Texas, you have to buy it from them. So there's more and more foreclosures coming. He's been talking about that. That's one part of it. There's foreclosures coming where you could literally assume you could do a wrap on those. You could uh, do a subject two, um, as Pace Morby and a lot of guys talk about. I've never really gotten into subject two, but I think we're in a season of time where that could be pretty valuable. But even more than that, there's literally people. I was looking. Karen and I were looking at an open house. We were at an open house the other day, and and the the family that was at this house or that was uh, selling the house, they're getting relocated by Apple across the country. And so they need to sell their house. And the same house right now, if you bought the same exact house in that neighborhood, new construction right now, it'd be like 1.1 million. And they're selling it for like 889 because they're getting relocated and they have a 3% interest rate. 
Now, this particular family is not in a situation probably where they need to, you know, fire sell that house and and let somebody assume it. But what I'm getting at is if you can find people that need to relocate and they don't want to um, necessarily sell because they uh, were, you know, the the price has dropped or they're not at a place where they want to sell because uh, they're just not in a position to sell, you might be able to assume that loan. There's a lot of people that don't want to be landlords and they don't want to, you know, just rent that house and move somewhere else. And a lot of people, there's, there's this kind of like stalemate out there right now because people don't want to sell their house because they got a great interest rate. And when they trade for another house, um, they're going to have a higher interest rate. So there's all these reasons that the real estate market is kind of locked up. But the thing that I wanted to point out is this cost to rent long-term. Two things, really. The cost to rent long-term. So I'm fully convinced. I don't know what it's going to look like in a year, two years, three years. But I'm pretty sure that five years from now, any house that you buy today is going to be worth the same, if not more, in five years, especially 10 years, you know, barring any other little cycles and blips than what it is today. Real estate is naturally inflationary. And I want to show you one other thing, and then we'll kind of wrap it up with this. So this is an interesting chart um, from the Federal Reserve's website. And by the way, we have experienced fully um, 3,000% inflation. Um, sorry about the lighting for Instagram. Um, I've got the lighting set for everything else and the sun keeps hitting, but, um, 3000% inflation, the federal reserve was founded in 1913. And this chart from Fred shows that if you take a hundred dollars in 1913, when the fed was formed, and if you're not on Instagram, by the way, and you can't see these charts, just go over to YouTube and follow me there, hit the subscribe button. And then every time we go live over there, you'll actually get the charts and you'll get to see all that. For whatever reason, um, Instagram hasn't gotten on the ball and you know we're streaming from uh, StreamYard, which is where you get to see the charts. So again, if you want to see these charts, just go over to YouTube. That video will be over there. And then every time we go live going forward, um, it'll be the same. But if you look at $100 of purchasing power in 1930 when the Fed was created, that same $100 is now 3.2 cents in purchasing power. By the way, I didn't make this up. This is the Federal Reserve's chart. You can go find this article on Epoch Times. Um, we've had 3,000% inflation. So we're talking right now about you know inflation at what, whatever, seven, six, seven percent um, They're saying it's coming down. I don't know if it's really fully coming down. I don't know what this is going to look like in the near term. I don't know if we're going to go back to 2 or 3% interest rates either. Again, I think that was drunk money, and I think this is what the Federal Reserve did. But without going off on a tangent here, if you look at the foundation of the Federal Reserve, the purchasing power of the dollar from 1913 to 1920 fell off a cliff. We literally got cut more than in half during that period of time. And then we go into what was the roaring 20s. So after that, after we cut the value of the dollar in half, the purchasing power, and what that really means is that you know, $100 really only buys $50 worth of stuff. But when you look at that same $100 today, it's 3.2 cents. And so the question that I want to ask you, and I did this at one point in time, I'm not going to show the chart today because we're getting kind of um, out there on time. But a while back, I took a chart of the purchasing power of the dollar from 19, right off the Federal Reserve's website, from 1965 to current. And then I took the median household price from 1965 to current. And those charts are directly inverse. They, they're inversely correlated. And what I did is I flipped the housing chart and turned it upside down. And if you look at that chart, it literally looks like the value of housing going up, but inverse is the same as the purchasing power of the dollar declining. And so what I'm getting at here 
is I don't think that houses went up in value 30% over the last three or four years. I think that house, the purchasing power of the dollar has gone down by the same amount because of inflation, because we're devaluing money. And really it's summed up in this chart here, 3000% inflation in 110 years since the Federal Reserve has been in place. We literally fell off a cliff. Our value, de- our dollar devalued by 50% in 10 years. And then you look, if you're looking at the chart from like 19, I don't know, 20, let's say 22 to 1932, it kind of stabilized. Then the value of the dollar kind of skyrocketed. We had the, we had the Great Depression, but here's something, here's something that, and it's interesting because Ben Bernanke actually said this. I found an article where Ben Bernanke in a speech, I think it was in, in 2004, he actually said, we caused the Great Depression, we meaning the Federal Reserve. He said, yes, we did that. I apologize, it won't happen again. So he came right out and said it. But when you look at around 1931, 32, 33, the dollar starts to skyrocket. We went from like a low of, you know, we went from 100 to like 48 uh percent of the purchasing power. And then we got back up to like 80% of what it was when the Federal Reserve started. But there was something that really, that happened there that was really interesting. Um, Franklin Roosevelt confiscated all the gold from the United States citizens in 1933. Gold was pegged to the dollar. So gold was $20 and 70 cents. By the way, I'm not, I'm not saying you should invest in gold or any of that. I love gold, but um, gold was $20 and 70 cents, I think is what it was per ounce. They confiscated all the gold. And then literally one year later in 1934, um, they, they changed the peg price to like $33. So they literally devalued the purchasing power of the dollar. Well, they devalued gold by a third, which made the, value, the, the dollar skyrocket because now they, they didn't have to... Here's another way to say this. If the United States government wanted to borrow $100 when it was pegged to gold, they'd have to have $20 in gold essentially as like security, right? Because in order to borrow back then, it had to, you had to have gold to back it. Well, what they, what they changed, and now that it was $33 an ounce, now basically they only needed three ounces of gold instead of five. So that's how you kind of sum up you know, devaluation of the dollar with gold. But then what gets interesting, we had the Great Depression and, and the purchasing power of the dollar continues to decline. And then Nixon takes us completely off the gold standard in 1971. So it's a free for all. The Federal Reserve can print all the money it wants, um, which by the way, you guys all know this, I'm sure at this point in time, but the Federal Reserve has nothing to do with the government. It's the banking cartel really at the end of the day. And the reason why I brought up the 3000% inflation over the course of, you know, since 1910, 110 years is because why are we surprised that the purchasing power of our dollar is so low now? It has nothing to do with houses going up in price. It has nothing to do with, you know, meat costing more. It has everything to do with the devaluation of the dollar, which is exactly what inflation and deflation is. And at the end of the day, um, I'm going to stop this screen sharing here and kind of wrap this up. At the end of the day, we have to understand this. So Mike, what do we do with all of this? This is what I said before. What does this mean for all of us? What can I do right now? Well, like I said, I think long-term in real estate, rents are going to continue to climb. And so even right now, um, there's a lot of builders that are building rent to own right now. There's a lot of private equity companies that are, you know, investing in rent to own. And why would they do that? Well, because rental rates are going to continue to climb. And when real estate prices rebound, interest rates drop, more people want to get into home ownership, then what can the smart money do? Well, if they no longer want to be in the rental business, then they can 
you know, list these homes on the market and they'll do it slowly. I mean, unless they get into a situation where they have to offload them, which then could be bad for the housing market, that could be a problem. But I don't really see that happening unless there's a fund mandate or whatever that they have to do it. So there's a lot of companies right now that are getting into rent to own. Um, I know a builder, I won't mention his name, but he was telling me when I was in Phoenix that their company is buying land left and right. So there's a lot of builders, developers, private equity groups that are still investing in real estate in the long game. The question you have to ask yourself is, how do I get into a deal that I can continue to cash flow, that I can get those tax benefits, that I can make sure that I don't get into a situation where I have to fire sell this home. And maybe one of those things is looking for deals where the seller needs to get out. What I was talking about, my my business partner in the luxury vacation rental space, you know, we're looking at luxury vacation rentals. And I think that in that space, there's probably going to be some people that need to sell those homes, but they don't want to sell them because the market's dropped a little bit. That market's holding pretty well in most markets. But even if the market's dropped a little bit or they need to get out and they don't want to lose their equity or they don't want to pay all the fees that it costs to put a realtor in place and, and to refinance and all of that, you might be able to assume some loans right now. So I would be looking at all of that kind of stuff. And then the last thing that I would say right now, we are really bullish on short-term investments that are producing a higher above average yield. I mean, you can go get a 5% savings account right now, um, a lot of investment banks and stuff. And so, you know, I'm looking at investments that are at eight to 10 to 12 to 14%. And in, you know, this is in short-term debt. We actually have one full disclosure. Um, We're doing some bridge lending on manufactured homes for our manufactured home portfolios. It's short-term 12-month notes. Um, You get a 12% return for 12 months. Those are the kind of things I'm looking for security, I'm looking for investments that are backed by something. I'm looking for investments that are paying above inflation because even at 5%, a good friend of mine, Keith Weinhold, put out a video a while back that, you know, even at 5%, you're losing money because if inflation's at 7%, you're basically arbitrage backwards at 2% at that rate. And so really, you know, we need to be looking at where do we keep our cash right now that's short term because everybody's talking about blood in the streets. I don't know if it's going to be as bad as everybody thinks it is. But there's probably going to be some investment opportunities where you're going to want some cash. So what can you do with that in the short term? Again, I'd be looking at creative financing. Um, I'd be looking at short-term investments with security. Um, I already mentioned, you know, all the big boys, the developers, they're investing in long-term plays. So even if your margins are squeezed a little bit, if you can find some decent debt, if you can find good deals, which still exist out there, they might not be as plentiful as they were in, you know, 2016, 2017. But again, we were in a period of time of drunk money that the banking cartels orchestrated. Um, so let's kind of wrap this up. Um, yeah, things are challenging. I started off the video by talking about the negativity. Just be careful who you're listening to right now. Um, get yourself around people that are going to tell you the truth, but they're also going to tell you the other side of it. We've been through these cycles before. I remember in 2008, um, you know, everything was horrible, right? Everybody was talking about how many people lost their jobs and how many people lost their homes. And a lot of people were impacted by that. And if you're impacted, I'm sorry, but a lot of people made money through that time too. I know a lot of people that went bankrupt that are extremely wealthy now because they learned lessons through those times. And I I don't remember who told me this the other day. I think Mike Kara might've said this, quoted somebody else. But the, the quote was, the shit that you're going through in this season is gonna be the fertilizer for your next season. And so let's not put our head in the ground. Let's make sure that we're surrounded by, again, positivity. How can we get through these periods of time? But like I was saying in 08, yes, a lot of people lost their jobs. Yes, the housing markets were challenging, but I did the math. 
And the markets that we were in, like 1% of people lost their, lost their house. It wasn't, it wasn't the end of the world. And if you're in that boat, again, I'm sorry, but there's ways for you to get out too. Do not bury your head until you're one day away from foreclosure because there's a lot of people, like I was just saying, um, in fact, I'm seeing Mitch, um, he's on Instagram right now. There's a lot of people out there that are buying single family deals that would want to do investments. They would want to probably give you some cash to assume your mortgage. If you've got a hundred or $150,000 of equity, but you're scared and you don't, maybe you're, you know, ashamed and you don't want to, you know, talk to a realtor. So many people wait till the last minute. Don't wait till the last minute. There's people that'll give you some cash for your house and they'll assume your loan so your credit doesn't get destroyed. And then you just go rent somewhere for a couple of years. And then once you get your home restructured, then it's all good. But my point, don't bury your head in the sand. Let's hit the problems head on. We're all dealing with challenges. Even the most successful of business owners are making changes in their business right now. We can get through this as long as you don't bury your head in the sand. So I went longer today than I was planning. So I'll try to shorten these up in the future. Um, but thanks for joining. Again, you can follow it on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, wherever you watch. But if you want to see those charts, go follow us on uh, YouTube. Just Google Mike Ayala YouTube. Um, hit the subscribe button. We're going to be putting a lot more content over there. Um, the King's Table is over there. We're going to be kind of shifting that King's Table probably over to its own podcast here pretty soon. So um, thanks for tuning in today. We're going to get through this. It's not as bad as they're saying. They have some vested interest in getting us to stop spending. They have some vested interest in getting up. By the way, did you know that if inflation is at seven or the interest is at, you know, 5% on the overnight, then that's what the government's actually having to pay on their interest rate. So they do want lower interest rates. But the way that they're going to get that is by cooling down the economy. Because if we keep spending and we keep buying houses and we keep investing, <laughs> then they can't curb inflation. So there's this fine line here between none of us love inflation, but also at the same time, we created this by being drunk on cheap money. And the government doesn't want high interest rates either. So they're trying to find this balance. And I think that if they couldn't implode the real estate market, then what they need to do is scare the living hell out of us and get us to stop spending money. And by the way, if you're spending money you don't have, you should stop spending money. But the reality at the end of the day is somewhere between we're falling off a cliff and somewhere between everything's rosy is the reality and we're all going to be okay. So let's go out there and make it great. Uh, continue to follow. If there's anything you love or hate, would love the feedback. Thanks, everyone. If you've found value in this episode and you know someone who's wanting to start or move further along in their journey toward investing for freedom, I would be forever grateful if you would share this show with them and help me get this message out to more listeners. Also, if you enjoy what you've heard, I would appreciate it if you take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. And until the next episode, cheers to moving further along in your journey of investing for freedom.